I'm grateful once again this morning to be with you and to bring God's word to us. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Our title for this message is The Wisdom of Trusting God. The Wisdom of Trusting God. Proverbs 3, 1 to 8. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can come to you with our needs. Lord, we need you. We need to see Jesus as wisdom, Lord, from your word. I pray that you would open our eyes. Lord, open our eyes to see, to build our lives on your love, on your word. Father, this is our only hope in life and death. Please help us now by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Benjamin Franklin, one of our nation's founding fathers and considered to be a sage of wisdom, gave us perhaps the most trusted and applied American proverb. He wrote this, early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. In other words, disciplined effort and hard work will produce health, wealth, and wisdom. If we are honest, we are tempted to trust in the promises of the world like these. We long for these and we hate it when anything encroaches on our health or our money or questions our wisdom. The ideal of a self-made man or woman following their heart for success and satisfaction in life has totally consumed our identity. And we see this in social media, in advertising, and even in education. The truth is that following self is always an act of forgetting God. Following self is always an act of forgetting God. For some of us, life is just the scattered Lego pieces that I'm constructing into the monument for others to admire. God's work is secondary, if that, to what I'm building. Life is really about what I gain and others' recognition of it. But the message of wisdom literature and the Bible is clear. 
If life is about gain, if it's about what I get from my efforts, you are a fool. We are fools, and we will always lose in the end. Solomon, who pursued and experienced the heights of health, wealth, and wisdom that would shatter our wildest dreams, comes to the end of his life, and he says this, that I have seen everything that is done under the sun that is in this world. And behold, satisfying beyond our wildest dreams? No. He says that all is vanity. All is striving after the wind. Ecclesiastes 1.24. He says it was like a breath. I was chasing the wind. Proverbs 3 is warning us that trusting anything in this life apart from God to give ultimate satisfaction and gain is foolishness. The self-made man, the one who trusts in his own understanding, is a self-destructing man. The end of self-trust is hell, eternal death and destruction. If trusting God is simply the means to a better end, namely health, wealth, or wisdom, then these ends are really our treasure, what we live for. God is not our greatest treasure. We are. And we trust ourselves completely to bring ultimate satisfaction. Consider this statement from one Christian writer and theologian. He says that we long for and live for is happiness on the surface of our lives and at the deepest level of our lives. In all our varied pursuits, earning a living, finding a spouse, raising good children, having fun, keeping fit, we exhibit a common desire to be happy in what we do. We do not simply exist, suspended in time. We shape and we change the world and we seek to control it. We plan and we dream about our individual lives. We live with a purpose toward a specific end, and we have a goal, to be happy. Now, this is not inherently problematic. Don't mistake what he's saying. He's not questioning the moral value of our decisions. Gibson is asking us to recognize our human condition, namely that we pursue our own happiness inherently, that we trust ourselves completely, that we think we know what will satisfy us in the end. And apart from God, or acknowledging the truth of his word, we won't think twice about the end to which our actions are leading. But the promise of Proverbs is that when we trust the Lord, when we remember his words, we begin to enjoy life in his design. When we trust the Lord and remember his words, we begin to enjoy life in his design. So the main idea is this. Listen to wisdom by learning to trust God in everything. Listen to wisdom by learning to trust God in everything. We'll begin this morning with the path to proverbial wisdom. We need to set the stage for interpretation on Proverbs 3. 
Before we begin to interpret or apply scripture, we must understand how the text actually comes to us. We have to understand its form or its genre. Dan noted this in the introduction to Proverbs, that it is wisdom literature in poetic form. It's wisdom literature in poetic form. It's not primarily focused on giving legal stipulations like a covenant, like if you obey my Sabbaths, you will be blessed, or if you do not, you will be cursed. It is instead focused on giving wisdom for godly life, a life patterned after God's design and submitted to his word, still within a world full of complications and unpredictable circumstances. Hence, the framework of Proverbs, as we've seen, are there's two paths, two ways to walk in life. These are about what generally characterize our lives under normal circumstances. What generally characterize our lives under normal circumstances. It's like taking a video of a child when mom and dad are gone and no one is looking. See, anyone can obey or listen to commands when circumstances are good or when parents are watching. But what we actually want when no one is around reveals who or what we listen to. Here's the point. What we trust and treasure most reveals our way of life. What we trust and treasure most reveals what way we follow. Whether the way of folly or the way of wisdom. Life in God's design or death outside of it. With this poetic framework in mind, the message of Proverbs is interpreted through Solomon's use of grammatical features. Now, I hated grammar in high school and middle school, basically since I was born. And it wasn't until I got to college and started studying the Bible for a living that I realized grammar really matters. It's how the authors describe their message. And it'll help us to avoid two pitfalls this morning especially in Proverbs. First, we can make these Proverbs out to be promises that are comprehensive and absolute. This will lead us to put our hope in wealth, health, and wisdom and totally miss God in the process, who is the treasure that wisdom compels us to trust. On the other hand, we can make these Proverbs out to be just generalizations that only apply when the circumstances are just right and still remain doubtful of its outcome or authority for our lives. This will lead us to put our hope in some vague wisdom and totally miss the power and the pleasure of God for those who obey his commands with all their heart. For our portion of scripture, it may help to see the structure of this passage clearly. This will be on the screen. In Proverbs 3, 1 to 8, there are four exhortations and four outcomes if the exhortations are heeded. The four exhortations are written in parallel form of what not to do and what to do. Verse 1, don't forsake, but keep. Verse 3, Sorry, don't, for, don't forget, but keep. Verse 3, not forsake, but bind and write. Verse 5, and this is positive first. Trust and acknowledge 
Don't lean. Verse 7, don't be proud, but fear and turn. There are four outcomes tied to each exhortation and given as descriptive metaphors for what God's design is, what outcomes can be produced. Verse 2, length of days, years of life, or peace in life. Verse 4, favor and good or wise success, or fruitfulness in life. Verse 6, straight paths, or discernment in life. And verse 8, healing to flesh, refreshment to bones, or rest in life. Peace, fruitfulness, discernment, and rest. This is God's design for us. And this leads us to our first point over verses 1 to 4. Wise people remember God's words and works. If you're taking notes, point 1 is wise people remember God's words and works. In our text of scripture, we come to another urgent call. The father says this in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. The exhortation is don't forget. Forget what? Well, it's the teaching. It's the commandments from chapters 1 and 2 that we've already seen. It's the teaching that begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7, and ends in life, Proverbs 2, 20 and 21. More broadly, the teaching and the commandments concerned with God's written word. Dan already showed us this, that the Bible is wisdom from God. So what does Solomon say the outcome of those who listen and submit to God's word will be? Well, read with me in verse 2. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. These are metaphors for peace and fulfillment in life. Namely, peace with God and fulfillment because of him. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding from Philippians 4-7, which will guard our hearts and our minds from being consumed by the anxieties of life under the curse. It fills our hearts by the Spirit as we pray and trust God's providence. It's a concept that we'll come back to later in the message. Then Solomon gives the second exhortation. Read with me in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So what does it mean to not let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake us? That kind of sounds backwards. Well, all throughout the Bible, and especially in the Psalms, these two terms refer to God's character and his covenant. He is a covenantal God who extends his love, his steadfast love, to those who don't deserve it, like Israel under the old covenant or you and me in the new covenant. So Solomon's saying, don't be lazy. Don't be apathetic or indifferent toward God's love. Don't pass over John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever would believe in him that we would not perish but have eternal life. Friends, laziness is a form of forgetting. Forgetting what's important in life and neglecting it passively or actively. What then should we do? Well, he gives two exhortations. He says, bind them or wear the word and write them or write the word. The modern translation is this. Carry your Bible around metaphorically, physically, and spiritually. Purposefully put scripture in front of you. The aim is to grow by grace in seeing God's word regularly. It's planting seeds and starting rhythms of meditation day and night that will grow into fruit-bearing trees, like Psalm 1 says. So get creative. Don't limit this to devotional reading. Maybe put sticky notes on your desk or your office walls or your room of verses to think about and remember. Text a friend a verse or a passage that you've been meditating on and a couple of sentences about how God's working in your life through it. Decorate your home, your office, your room with scripture and biblical sayings that help you call it to mind. Find the empty spaces in life and fill them with the word so that you don't forget. Now, is this a sure way to trust God and to not neglect him? Well, no. But it helps. It's wisdom for keeping from forgetting. Because if we don't listen to wisdom, we are much more likely to forget and forsake God. Now, what will be the outcome for those who hold fast to God's love and his word? Well, verse 4 says it. So you will find favor and good success or wise success in the sight of God and man. It's successful living. We might say fruitfulness with God and man. Now, I want to be clear. Proverbs is not saying that life will be easy and that everyone will like you. Jesus says that the world is going to reject us if we follow him faithfully. But your life will have a fruitful impact on others in the end because you will be portraying wisdom himself. You'll be portraying Christ to the lost world. And God will honor your faithfulness. He will. Verse 5 brings us to the second point. Point number two. Wise people trust God's words and works. Wise people trust God's words and works. I knew Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 from a young age. My mom would quote it to me frequently. She'd say, trust in the Lord, Luke with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding, Luke. In all your ways, Luke, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. When I was scared at night from the dark, trust in the Lord with all your heart. When I began dating relationships that gave me more questions than answers in life, lean not on your own understanding, Luke. 
he will make your path straight. But for most of my life, this wisdom felt more like a cliche cop-out to real answers than God-inspired truth. But here's the reality. Trust in the Lord is wisdom as God-inspired truth. And learning to call this to mind because of my mother's wisdom is exactly the point of Proverbs. We ought to remember God when sin and suffering and struggles and death occur. Don't put your weight on your own thinking. Don't lean on it. Instead, depend on the Lord, the covenant-keeping God for the outcomes of life. But here's the problem. We are, without a doubt, prone to trust in our own understanding at all times. It's the understanding that we have, unless we fill it with something else, namely God's word. Do you see the tension? You see, God created our minds. He doesn't want us to just toss them out. But sin distorts and twists our thinking and our affections inward towards self. So what's the solution? How do I not depend on my own thinking but still think? Well, the answer comes in verse 6. Read with me. Solomon says, In all your ways, acknowledge or know him, and he will make your paths straight. In other words, we are to transform our minds. Romans 12, 1 to 2 says this. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. By what? By the renewing of your minds. And that in God's word. Friends, we trust who or what we believe is true. We trust who or what we believe is true. Trust always follows truth. Like how a ladder leaning against a house provides stability for all kinds of labor, so we must lean on the rock-solid truth of God's word, his revelation for true life for every labor. But we are tempted every day to trust in lies. If I work harder or lounge more, save better or spend more, read this book, enjoy that pleasure, do this or that thing, go to this or that place, then I will find ultimate meaning and satisfaction in life, free from sin and struggles, from suffering and death. And God, through Solomon, as wisdom, is pleading with us, trust me, I know you don't understand you don't have to. I see the big picture. I know how your struggles and your sufferings will work for your good. I ordered the winds and waves because I created them. Stop trusting in what's not true. Wake up to what's real. That I sent my son and my spirit and gave you this totally true word, full of wisdom so that you might believe in me and live in true design of what you were created for. Isn't that appealing, church? 
And what will be the outcome for those who continually remember and trust his word? Solomon gives it again in verse 6. He will make straight your paths. Straight paths. In other words, it's discernment. What is in your mind will start to affect your heart. You will begin to grow and believe in and know what is true and real, what is wise and good, and to reject what is false and counterfeit, what is foolish and evil. We will begin to live in God's world by seeing the scripture's application for all of life. Now the final exhortation is given. Read with me in verses 7 to 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The Father says, reject pride. Literally, don't see wisdom through your own eyes. Pride is the greatest obstacle to trusting God and enjoying life in his design. In our pride, we not only think that we are right before others, but we do so also before holy God. Apart from the work of the Spirit to reveal our sin, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and are by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3. And wisdom here is urgently warning us to turn from evil while you can. Give up your pride and your striving. Fear God. Because if you don't, there is a terrible end for you. If you continue to reject the gospel of Jesus, wisdom says that God will reject you. He will give you over to your sins. And when calamity and destruction strike, he will not listen, though you call. The fear of the Lord is central to trusting God and depending on him for this life and the next. It's central to why Proverbs is not just life advice. It's good news for fools like you and me. The product of fearing God is repentance and faith, turning from evil and trusting in God completely. Consider how Exodus 14.31 describes this. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. The Israelites were as good as dead before the Egyptian army, but God redemptively crushed their enemies, and as a result, they learned not only to fear God, but also to put their faith in him. Fearing the Lord has to do with two things. It has to do with our creatureliness, which is just a fancy word for we are not God, we are created. And two, it has to do with God's providence, 
which is a fancy word for how he cares for his creation, you and I and the created order. Being a creature, someone totally dependent on the creator sustaining our very breath, means that fundamentally, God has to care for us. We did not work our way into existence. Think about it. Did you give yourself life? You didn't. And we don't work our way into fulfillment in life. But pride often distorts our minds so that as we get older, we start to think, you know, I really got here on my own. I don't need others. And I certainly don't need God. But understanding our creatureliness and our utter dependence on God should humble us. It should humble us. There's no room for pride and self-dependence when we see ourselves for who we are and who God is. Wise people, instead, recognize humbly their dependence, not only on the goodness and the mercy of God, but also on that of their neighbor. Wise people say with Paul, what do I have that I haven't received? Thank you, God, for everything that I have, for everything that I am. Now, I recognize this is the ideal. Sin pervasively affects our lives. Suffering and death are realities. And some of us feel this very deeply right now. But God invites us to not let sin or suffering or death have the final word. He reminds us that there's still goodness and grace because there is still a God. And we can learn to trust him slowly as we listen to his word. So what will the outcome of those who continue to fear God and reject evil be? Verse 8, Solomon says, It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In other words, he's saying you will have rest, body and soul. Does trusting God by resting mean you sleep more? or you take more vacations, or you quit your job? No. Some of us here have just had new babies, and you're not sleeping more, trust me. It means that you rely and depend on God for strength when you don't get enough sleep, as you were hoping. And we thank him when we feel rested, because that's a gracious gift from our Heavenly Father. In every circumstance, we rest by relinquishing control of the outcomes we were hoping in and entrusting the results of our labor to God. We learn contentment in both plenty and need. We depend on the grace of God for all things. I made an important statement at the front of this message. If life is about gain, what you can get from your efforts, you are a fool, and you will only lose in the end. But for the Christian, there is one gain in living. The gain is Christ. Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live 
is Christ, and to die is gain. The outcome of death for the believer is Christ's life. Yet, while God continues to give us life and breath, while he sustains us and providentially cares for us, we should grow in learning to trust him and to live in his design for our joy and satisfaction. God's design for us was always peace, fruitfulness, discernment, and rest. From the garden to new creation, God purposed for us to enjoy life by listening to and applying his word. Difficulty is not gone, but real satisfaction and joy are possible through trusting in Christ. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that is through trusting, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. John 17.4 I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. John 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden by it, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We live because he lives. We extend peace because he's made peace with us. We grow in the knowledge of the truth because he is truth. We work for his glory because of his finished work. We rest in his love because he is love. And if you know Christ today, you can live wisely. That's the promise of Proverbs. For he is our wisdom. Colossians 2, verse 3. In the same way that we never get away from our creaturely dependence on God as creator for all of life, we will never get away from our complete dependence on Jesus for eternal life. And that's good news because we can never lose it. So here is the good news, that we all were once fools. But the Apostle Paul says this, that by the work of the Spirit, Christ became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 30. Now we usually don't do this, but I thought it would be fitting to take a few moments, a few minutes, to reflect silently on what we've heard from Proverbs. We're going to have the main idea and a couple of questions on the screen to consider. But the point is this, that the gospel calls all of us to respond in faith and repentance. Repentance. 
unbeliever, skeptic, you don't have to have it together to come to Jesus today. In fact, it's a prerequisite that you acknowledge you don't. If you have never repented of your sins, your rebellion against God, but today you have heard his voice, do not harden your heart. Instead, place your complete and whole trust in Christ for the salvation of your life. 